Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. We will definitely catch you then. Continuity of care is a key part of general practice that some feel we've kind of lost a little bit. And with the focus on access and how that needs to be the priority for many parts of the healthcare system, is continuity something that we've lost or is it something we need to bring back? That's definitely what the Health Select Committee seem to think in terms of their recent reports. And in this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Azim Majid as we talk about what continuity of care actually means, how we might achieve it, and what we need to consider if we're looking at that journey again. Let's take enhance of primary care and learning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the stream. And I'm really happy to be joined by Dr. Azim Majid, who's going to be talking to and helping us understand this whole concept of continuity of care. Um, how are you doing there, Azim? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah, I hope you're well too, Hussein. Doing well. And thank you for giving us your time. Now, um, I, I know me and you, we've had chats on Twitter and various other things uh, for, for several years now. But actually, this is the first time we've actually had the proper opportunity to talk and stuff. But I'm aware other people may not know who you are. Can you just let our listeners and viewers know who you are and what you do? Hi, so I'm um, Azim Majid. I'm a GP and public health consultant. I'm also a professor of chronic and public health at Imperial College London. So I've got a, a range of roles in universities and the NHS. Mm -hmm. And I know that in particular, when it's come to sharing information about some of the things that come across, absolutely, you're one of the key resources I look to for giving me the information about particularly the evidence of stuff that happens because of your knowledge and things. Um, How have you found the recent change that have been happening within healthcare and particularly general practice? I mean, we've had huge shift since COVID obviously came along and basically shook everything up. Uh, I mean, what has your perspective been on how things have, I guess, changed over the past few years? Uh, so it's been a very challenging time since the pandemic started. We had the shift towards remote consulting about uh, two and a half years ago in March 2020. Um, we had a fall in constitution rates at that time. All of them picked up again and now they're now higher than they were uh, before the pandemic. Uh, we've seen a gradual return of face-to-face consulting. So numbers have gone up uh, quite substantially since the initial drop uh, two and a half years ago. Uh, we, we've seen the NHS come under a lot of pressure, uh, you know, in mental health, primary care, community, the acute sector, a long waiting list, which then puts pressure on, on GP. So it's been, I think, quite a challenging two and a half years for, for doctors and for patients because uh, you know, of the pandemic and and the, and, the, and the problems that have arisen from the pandemic subsequently. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things, that, like you mentioned, with all those challenges, we've seen a shift in terms of how access has happened in particular. Um, one of the key things that many people are now looking at again is this whole constant concept of continuity of care. Can you help us understand what exactly is this concept of continuity of care? Uh, so continuity of care essentially being seeing the same practitioner uh, for, your, for most of your healthcare needs. Uh, people think of it as, as within primary care, but actually it also applies to secondary care as well. 
So patients, you know, of mine often complain when they go to outpatient clinics, they never see the same doctor twice. So it's essentially about seeing one professional for the bulk of your, your problems. Um, so you have this continuity in your relationship. Uh, you see someone you know and hopefully can trust and someone who knows you and, and your healthcare needs. Mm-hmm. And why is that important? Uh, research over the years has shown that continuity of care is linked to better outcomes on a range of different measures. So, for example, if you look at patient satisfaction, that's higher when continuity of care is higher. If you look at use of unplanned healthcare, like uh, inpatient admissions or A&E attendances, those were reduced in people with better continuity of care. If you look at prevention, uh, for example, uh, so uptake of screening programs, vaccination, or um, managing long-term conditions like diabetes or hypertension, uh, all those uh, are done better uh, if there's if patients have a high continuity of care. Mm-hmm. And do you think trust is the key reason for that being important, or is there other things uh, that contribute to it? So trust is one key issue. People hopefully will trust the person that they're seeing regularly. But it's also about other things as well, like information. So if you're seeing the same patient regularly, you know that patient, you, you know their particular issues, what they like, what they dislike. Uh, so it's not just about trust, it's about information as well. Uh, so I think that's also important to having information. So as a local, for example, you see a patient you'll have no prior experience with that patient typically. Uh, but if you see the patient regularly, you know their medical history, their social history, etc., uh, what's going on in their life, uh, how they're getting on with their long-term conditions. So it's about information as well as about, about trust. Okay. And as we mentioned, it seems that continuity has changed. Um, I know many people harken back to the days where they would see, you know, um, the GP in their office on a regular basis, you know, Dr. Foster or, or you know, um, and they would know them, they would visit them all the time and that kind of thing. Um, and that continuity enabled trust and, and care in that sense. That doesn't happen now. Um, how do we think that can, well, first of all, is that right from your perspective? Uh, do we think, yeah, yeah that, that is correct. So research does show, if you look at different tools, uh, or different measures like the GP patient survey, the continuity of care has fallen over the years. So there has been a decline in continuity of care as measured by different different um, tools. So that is definitely the case. It has declined uh, over the last few decades. And we mentioned obviously COVID being a key thing that changed general practice. Have there been any other kind of things that have shaped that change, I guess, in terms of um, why we, we've kind of had a difference in continuity? Um, so we've seen a shift in family care over the last few decades uh, in the way it's organised. So we've seen a move towards larger practices. So declining in one or two or three doctor practices that we saw quite commonly 30, 40 years ago. So now GPs often now work in large practices with, with many doctors and allied health professionals. Uh, we've seen a shift towards working in teams. So doctors no longer deliver healthcare themselves by the, on their own. We use nurses, healthcare assistants, uh, mental health workers, podiatrists and other uh, professional groups as well. That's a, a second issue. Um, and a third issue, I think, has been changes in employment practices. So we have more doctors now working part-time clinically, either you know, for personal reasons or because of other roles in, in teaching, research, healthcare management. So a number of factors uh, have changed how we deliver healthcare and led to a declining continuity of care. Mm-hmm. And are there any kind of, I guess, models or metrics that we can look at to understand um continuity itself you know uh, I know there are some that commented recently in some of the publications and stuff but um, are, are what are the metrics and can you explain the differences I guess between some of them that may be available? Uh, so one common 
tool that we use is a GP patient survey, which is done annually by the NHS. That has a measure of, within it of continuity of care of people seeing the same doctor. And, and because it's an annual, it does allow you to track uh, changes over time. And that does show, as I mentioned, decline in continuity of care um, uh, in, re in recent years. Uh, and then also we, we can use data from medical records as well. Uh, because GPs are computerized, it's possible to try, you know, to link data and, and see after people to the same healthcare practitioner as well. Uh, but those tend to be ad hoc tools uh, designed, you know, for, for a particular study. Although there are, you know, a few tools that are used more commonly. So those are two main methods of trying to measure continuity of care. One is through national patient surveys, and, and those are good, as I mentioned, because they provide um, data over time and use the same measures, so you can actually you know, track changes uh, every year. And the other is um, research databases um, derived from GP records, which are also used to measure continuity of care as well. Mm -hmm. And is there any information, I guess, that's available that, that helps us understand the difference between continuity, whether uh, that's based on the roots? Obviously, we've seen an increase in use of things like online consultations, telephone consultations, and obviously face-to-face -face still being prevalent. Um, you know, does continuity, is it impacted by the root of contact in any way? Um, that sort of data is not really available yet because the research has not yet been done to show if using these new methods of consultation uh, impacts on continuity of care. Um, so that, that I think we still need to await uh, the research on that. But I, but I think it's reasonable to assume that the more routes you've got into a practice, the more likely you are to get fragmented care. So if you can you know, access care you know, by walking in and getting appointments, by telephone, uh, mm -hmm. you know, by, by one of these online methods like e-consults, uh, you'll probably see more you know, care that's more fragmented unless continuity. So there's always a challenge of trying to get access and continuity. In many ways, the two, you know, counteract each other. So you, you can have good access or, or good continuity, but it's hard to have both those at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know some people have this concept of sometimes it's better to spend, um, you know, more time to focus on the continuity rather than providing access, um, you know, multiple consultations to various different people, but shorter um, continuity in things, particularly when we look at population-based health. Um, is there anything that you can tell us that might help to understand the, the difference of trying to deliver that, not from an individual perspective to patients, but on a population base, which obviously what primary care is trying to do as well? Uh, so on a population basis, it's probably most important for people with long-term health conditions, because that's where you'll get the big impact on their quality of life and quality of care and on use of health services. So older people with multi-morbidity, uh, multiple health problems, um, who, who are uh, big users of healthcare services. It's probably more important for them because that's where you'll see the, the main benefits in terms of health outcomes and improved mm -hmm. use of, health, of healthcare uh, in the NHS. For younger people who have more ep episodic care and, and fewer chronic conditions, it's probably less important for them. Or even there, there are some people with long-term conditions who do need that continuity. But it, so really, it needs to be tailored to the patient. Some patients, it's very important for them. Others, perhaps less so, you know, if they're fit and healthy, and only come in occasionally for you know for, for care that's episodic. I find the, the continuity may be less important than for an older, frail person with multiple medical problems. Mm -hmm. I, I know if Andy was here, he would talk about um, a few years ago there was the video from the Royal Association of Australian General Practice that showed that video about the journey of continuity that the GP seeing the family all the way through their their life. So from when they were 
um, meeting each other to their lives together with their children and then unfortunately the husband becoming unwell and the journey he had with what looked like developing lung cancer and then his unfortunate um, death and bereavement for the partner after that and that whole journey through and, and you know that being an ex- example of the power and, and the benefits of continuity of care for health whilst we feel we, we've lost that i know some places still try and achieve that level of care have you come across any examples either in the uk or, or wider since we're talking about the royal association of, of Gen, uh, australian general practice and stuff that, that seem to still be able to offer that um i think it's um getting rare now unfortunately particularly i think in large urban areas where you do have high population turnover uh, and a tight turnover of staff as well but i think in some settings you know smaller towns rural settings that kind of care you know still occurred to some extent uh, but, but also, you know, people's careers have changed now, uh, whereas, you know, 50 years ago, you might qualified as a doctor and stay in the same place as a GBO consultant. People, people now do move around much more than in the past. Um, and so that's probably, you know, is less, is less common now, you know, simply because of turnover of people, whether it's patients or, or, or staff. Uh, but you see, it, you know, still see it, in, I think, in smaller towns and rural locations, but probably less so in large urban settings where, where people do move around a lot. Mm-hmm. So if a practice was keen to try and move towards delivering a system that does offer continuity, is there anything that we could suggest that might help practices look at delivering that or creating that? And, um, you know, is there any guidance out there to help, I guess? There's no, you know, real guidance, but there are steps you could take. So one, some practices offer offer people a personal list. So a doctor will have a list of patients who they see, uh, preferably, you know, as the first point of contact unless they're, away for some reason. So, you know, if you ring up for an appointment and the practical doctor fits you in with your, with your regular doctor, if that's possible. Uh, if not, you know, you'll see someone else. Uh, we also can make sure we improve the use of medical records, uh, is to make sure they provide a good summary of people's uh, medical history. So that also helps improve continuity as well. Uh, it's also important, I think, that things like lab results and letters go back to the right person. So some practices are just allocated ad hoc, depending on who's there on the day. And so often you see letters of people who, who you had no contact with previously. So I think if possible, we should try to uh, send documents back and lab results back to the person who arranged that test or referral. Uh, it's not always possible, you know, because people do work part-time. and uh, Sometimes things need to be addressed very quickly, but I think we need to try to work towards that kind of model if, if that was possible. Mm-hmm. You mentioned personal lists and stuff, and I, I know that um, obviously with the recent workforce data, it's commented on the number of patients on average per GP. I think the recent figure was 2,260 per, per GP. Is that still manageable, I guess, from a list size for, for a GP? And, uh, yeah, it's not manageable. We, we, we know because GPs are struggling with their workload, uh, patients struggling with appointments. So we know the number of GPs per patient is, the number of patients per GP is too high at the moment. Um, uh, you know, we have got targets to increase the GP numbers, but those unfortunately have not been met. In fact, numbers are going down. Uh, across England in recent years, so yes, uh, that, that number is too high. I need to come down because uh, it, you know it's unsustainable. That kind of level of uh, you know, a workload is not really sustainable in, in the longer term. Mm-hmm. Is there any information out there that suggests what would be a sensible number of patients to GPs? Um, I think rather than uh, I think probably we need to base it on con- contacts per day. So I think anything more than twenty-five contacts per day. Is difficult, and we know in reality that's probably half what people are seeing at the moment. So, we, so probably we need to bring the list down to, in an ideal world, to around 1,200 to 1,500 per GP. Uh, but that you know probably isn't going to happen 
for a long time if ever unfortunately yeah it, it sounds like that's a, a herculean task to yeah, achieve like probably, yeah, a task that will never be uh you know be achieved but ideally you know we'd have the list size around 1200 mm. but in reality that's not going to happen because we just like the gp numbers to to allow mm. that but I guess we've talked very much about continuity from an individual perspective. Um, I know some places they use models where continuity is not necessarily delivered by an individual, but by a team. Um, is there anything that helps us understand how that may be different and more beneficial, um, given the challenges we currently face in general practice? Um, so, so teamwork is essential in primary care. Uh, you, know, you can't do the work by yourself as a doctor. Uh, we rely on other professionals uh, as well as our receptionists, so nurses, healthcare assistants, uh, perhaps social prescribers. Uh, very important, therefore, to have good information and communication between those groups. So make sure records are accurate. Uh, also, have you know verbal discussions with your colleagues rather than relying on email or what's in the record, because that I think helps a lot in terms of getting your information that may not be in, in the medical record. Um, we also you know encourage in my practice. We, we, we encourage um, people to discuss cases with each other. We have a weekly clinical meeting where we discuss complex cases or challenging cases. And that thing I find helps a lot because it spreads knowledge of that of that person amongst mm-hmm. everyone else in the practice, but also you know, allows people to feed in and provide their own inputs and views into that person's management. Mm-hmm. So I guess just to summarise that, you mentioned if you were looking at from team-based perspective of trying to improve continuity, having good medical records is really important. Yeah, essentially, um, good medical records. Yeah, being able to uh, share and also, them. Uh, and, and regular team meetings as well to discuss more complex or challenging cases, so we aren't working in isolation. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, good medical records, the ability to share them easily and regular contacts with colleagues to discuss um, cases that provide challenge and that have impact and that um, yeah, need to be shared so that that management can be supported and, and made more effective. Um, any other tips that you could offer? Um, I think it's easy to work in isolation as a GP. So you come in, you know, you do your work uh, and the work is you know, so intensive, you're there till late and go home. Very important to find time for breaks in the day, time to meet with colleagues, as I mentioned, discuss cases informally, uh, learn from them and, and, and them learn from you. you know, so, so try to work you know, as a team rather than as an individual. Um, I, I know it's challenging in the current climate, but it's important that you don't get too isolated in your professional role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know it's a challenge many of us face in terms of not getting stuck into that rut of just work, 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 and not seeing the other people in yeah. practice and stuff, because otherwise, like you say, it can become very yeah. challenging. So encourage, and... uh, yeah, encourage co- your coffee sessions, perhaps lunch with colleagues. I know, again, it's difficult sometimes. People don't have time for lunch sometimes, even because they're so busy. But if you can find time, it's very important to, you know, to have that relationship with your, with your colleagues. Mm-hmm. And I guess just as we move towards finishing then, if there was one thing that you would recommend to our colleagues out there that are thinking, actually, I, I want to look at our appointment system. Obviously, there are various initiatives to try and look at that. There's the um, PCN Des um, Quaff QI work currently going on in terms of access and that kind of stuff. What would you suggest our, our colleagues look at to try and help them understand how to make the system more effective for them and absolutely f- for their patients as well? So some of the things that I think can be done. So one is just looking at your, your current demand for appointments and trying to see how that compares with your capacity, because that then allows you to see what the gap is and, and what you can provide. Uh, I think secondly, we need to encourage people to, uh, um, to to get involved in self-care, so you know, take actions to improve their own health care. Uh, there are many services people can you know access without seeing a doctor. Uh, people to be encouraged to you know to use those services. Uh, people to be encouraged to look at their medical records. 
to know more about their health and really take more of a role in managing their own health care, so not relying so much on health professionals. And that allows you as a professional then to spend more time on the, on the issues that the patient needs help with rather than uh, simpler things. Thank you. So um, uh, thank you for your time, uh, Dr. Majid. I, I really enjoyed having you here. And in terms of understanding some of the complexities that we face with um, continuity as well as access, because they are fortunately linked <laughs> inextricably um, and really appreciate the time that you've offered to us. If other people wanted to have a look at other things that we've talked about in terms of access and stuff, feel free to have a look at some of the other content we've got coming around about here right now. And as always, we're here to help tech enhance your primary care and learning. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you. Oh, hello there, EGP Learner. I'm Dr. Gandalf, and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because, let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore, trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So... I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right. If you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, Send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, to tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpps one course.